Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with celebrated and award-winning composer and arranger Gordon Goodwin. The last time we caught up with him was in 2016, and now we talk about a host of Grammy nominations for the work on his 2023 albums, Raymond Scott Reimagined and Patty Austin's For Ella Two. His nominations include Best Jazz Vocal Album, Best Instrumental Composition, Best Arrangement, Instruments, and Vocals. Over the years, he has been lauded with 25 nominations. We cover surviving COVID, this new material he put out, awards, and so much more. Enjoy. Hey, there we go. What's up, man? Hey, man. How's it going? It's good. Nice to see you again. It's been a while. Been a few years, right? When did we do that? We probably did it back in 15, 16, maybe? 15, 16, yeah. I was going to say eight years ago, whatever. Yeah. <sighs> it's wild. Don't th- how does time work? I somebody needs to explain to me. <laughs> I know. Well, time is always kind of a weird thing that moves pretty fast, but this pandemic really kind of warped everything. So I, I want to start everything off before we get to the Grammys. Like, how did you get through the pandemic that three and a half year period? How did you survive it? And how did you subsequently how did it change you? Uh, uh, a, gr- a lot of great questions there. Uh I survived it. Um with the help of an SBA loan from the government, because after about, you remember at the beginning of the pandemic, we're thinking, oh, a couple of months. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then then two months became four, became six. And I, you know, all the projects we had, all the live gigs, you know, all the work, all the films, everything just done. So, um, uh, you know, it, that became there were the good part of that was I got to get up every morning and just come down to the studio and do whatever I wanted. Yeah, I could write anything I wanted. I could practice all day. I could, you know, I haven't had that luxury for quite a while. You know, so um, I was pretty productive uh, in terms of just creating music. I wrote a uh, I wrote a piece for the Boston Brass and and wind ensemble things I wouldn't have you know had time to do. Um, I, I wrote a, a series of piano duets, kind of classical things, which is a record that's coming out uh, first quarter of this year. So um, I love that part. And um, uh, but the uh, isolation of it uh, was, was, you know, started to get cumulative. And, you know, with, with a, a composer, we spend a lot of time isolated anyway, because that's the only way to do it. You got to be by yourself. You have to kind of go inward and ask yourself, what do I want to do? What do I believe in? All that stuff. Can't do that with a bunch of people around. You know, you can't get the guys together and start jamming. And, oh, we, we can, well, how about this? And how about that? And I mean, I guess that works for some genres of music, but for the, for meaningful composition, it's a solitary thing. So we're used to that. But the reward for that solitude is eventually you get to go stand up in front of an orchestra or stand up in front of a big band and hear these human beings lift the music off the page, right? And so um, that was something that I, I grew to miss greatly, the connection with other humans, the, the uh, uh, interaction with them as you're playing music. And so uh, after that year and a half or whatever it was, uh, I remember the, the big fat band had a gig. Um, it was at an outdoor amphitheater. We had like 5,000 people at this gig. And we were kind of trying to remember how, how the whole thing went, you know. And yeah. you know, there was a shorthand that we had developed over the past 20 years. And um, so we were, it felt a little bit rusty, 
you know. Yeah. But it also felt um, just invigorating, you know, to be able to to look another musician in the eye and have that energy kind of go back and forth between uh, you know the two people, and, and not to mention the energy of the audience yeah. back, you know, to us and back and forth, you know. So um, I I don't know, man. I, I I'm not sure if our society would be able to do that again. I don't think it's possible because even with the surge now, I don't think there's anybody anywhere that would even propose any kind of thing that we went through before. There's no way. I, I think you're right. I think you know? you're right. All due respect to how serious that was and people that I know that are still kind of dealing with long COVID and some of the effects of that, the people who did lose their lives uh, because of it. Uh, there's, <laughs> there's no, there's no positive way to spin that. But, yeah. um, but I think that, um, I, I, my views have changed a little bit on that, you know, and I was always very pro-science and like, I want to listen to what the doctors say and we, you know, what they, and I know it was a moving target that yeah. they was like, trying to get some understanding of what, how the virus behaved and all that. So, but I think next time around, it's going to be uh, probably handled differently. Absolutely. It will be. So you, it has to feel good to have these Grammy nominations to come out, to have new material. So talk to me about first the material, how it all yeah. came together and how good it feels to have these nominations. Okay, uh, well, starting with the uh, uh, material, uh, there are two records that uh, we've been um, acknowledged for. And one of them is a record with a string quartet co called Quartet San Francisco. And the leader of that group is a guy named Jeremy Cohen, who I've known for quite a while. He was a, played sessions in LA for many years before he moved to the Bay Area. And he called up and he said, you ever heard of this guy, Raymond Scott? I said, dude, I took a deep dive into Raymond Scott because in the nineties, I worked for Warner brothers animation and that was the gig. We had to write music in the style of two guys, Raymond Scott and Carl Stalling. So at that time, I mean, I had to really learn the language of both of those composers in order to do that gig. So I said, man, I'm in, I love that guy. So um, he says, great. We want to do a tribute to him. We've got the support of the Raymond Scott family. And, um, and so let's just do, let's just go nuts. So we decided it would be maybe fundamentally the big fat band plus the string quartet, but not on every track. We decided to pair the string quartet with like take six. We did a couple of tracks with them. Uh, we did string quartet with saxophone quintet, string quartet with two pianos. I played both of the piano parts, um, things like that uh, to make it uh, an album that showed the versatility of this man's writing. Um, so that's the first project. And, and probably the most unique thing about it was the Raymond Scott family gave me a song that he started, but didn't finish. They gave me this sheet of paper, a single sheet, and it had a scribbles on it. Didn't really, it wasn't really a song. It was like a little idea here, a little concept there. And I asked them for permission to finish it. I said, I know this man. I can do it. I know. I, I think I know what he would do. And if you'll give me that honor, and they said, you take it. So uh, I finished his song based on what I thought he was intending, added a little bit of Gordon Goodwin in there, you know, but, um, and that, that's one of the things we have a nomination for is for best original composition, which we will probably lose to John Williams because that is the way of the universe and yeah. all is good with that. Yeah. But uh, anyway, that's, that's the one project. Uh, the second project is an Ella Fitzgerald tribute record uh, by the vocalist Patty Austin. And uh, I've known Patty for some years now, and she called up and said, 
Ella's 100th birthday is coming up. I already did one Ella tribute record, but I want to do it again. Uh, can you do the charts? You want to do it? And uh, of course, that was an immediate yes, too. Um, always loved Ella, but also always loved Patty. She's a consummate musician, great singer, but a better musician. So she can get up there with, with the guys in this band and hold her own. She, she hears it, you know. So uh, we, we did, we collected a bunch of tunes that uh, Ella did. Tried to approach them a little bit differently than Ella would have done. Update them maybe a little bit. And I'm so happy that uh, Patty got uh, acknowledged for her, uh, for her singing because uh, she is heir apparent to Ella Fitzgerald in my view. Yeah. Interesting, right? Because she had all those pop hits back in the day with James Ingram. She had uh, How You Keep the Music Playing, Baby Come to Me, and that stuff. She was at the top of the mountain, you know. But lurking within her was the soul of a jazz singer. And, um, and she has shown us why she's the heir apparent to Ella. So as to how it, as to how it feels, yeah, yeah, um, I've really talking to you now, looking back, you know, over the arc of the last twenty three years. I mean, I got twenty five nominations, and I don't know how it happened. It yeah. doesn't make sense to me. Like I said, how does time work? I don't, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Other than you just get up every day and you do what you love and do it, you know, the best you can, and then before you know it, you've got a body of work. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, so the fact that somebody, that people have, have, uh, responded to it is, uh, it feels great. Um, it's not, it, you know, I, I, I gave an interview, I think it was after my second Grammy win and, and you know, you, you give a little speech, they, they give you a fake Grammy to hold and you're talking to the audience and then you go backstage and then they give you another Grammy and then you do an interview and the guy asked me that same question. How does it feel? to win a Grammy. And I said, you know, obviously it's really gratifying for my ego, but you know, the truth is my music's no better now that I have this. Yeah. And there's four guys out there that just lost and their music's no worse. So it's a little tricky when you're trying to compare, you know, art to art, you know? Yeah, yeah I agree. And, and, and he goes, he looks at me and he goes, seriously, dude, that's what you're giving me. He wanted me to do like, oh, man, it's awesome, you know, and uh -huh. I said, don't get me wrong. I don't mean to be, you know, not be show gratitude because I do think it's awesome. Um, I, I said, but here's the best thing is that if these Grammys help me to do it again, open up a few doors, you know, uh, so I can continue to write music and play music. And that is the real value of it. Yeah. Well, there's such a grounded nature. There's such a humility in the jazz community. I never really ever hear any musician doing backflips. And I don't necessarily see a lot of people do that. But there are certain genres where that's it. That's that's one of the big reasons why they do it. And their trajectory will change because of that. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I just and most of us in the jazz community believe you're writing music or playing music for awards, then it's probably a fool's errand you know? yeah and um and you're right there's an inherent honesty that's required to play music in in uh in in this genre yeah and maybe that that you know honesty and transparency precludes um being uh you know, carried away too much by the uh ancillary uh, benefits of it 
Yeah, for sure. I, so I say that. And look, it's a blast going to the going to the to the Grammys. It's fun. Yeah. You know, I got them right over here on my counter. I mean, they're right up there. It's it's great. You know. Yeah. Um, but it's not the reason to do it. Yeah, for sure. So the other component of this that we all missed that's very key is the live performance. What's going on now? We have a new year. How's all of this kind of unfolding for you? Getting back at it. Oh man, uh, a lot of gigs. Yeah. A lot of gigs started to come in um, the probably the second half of last year going into 24 and um, including Japan has finally opened up a little bit. Um, the, the blue, we played the blue note in Tokyo almost every year, but they had hadn't really been bringing over American artists very much since um, since COVID, but they've opened up again. So we're looking at doing that in the fall and um, uh it's interesting uh, we just did a tour of Florida in, yeah. uh, right before Christmas. And uh, on, uh, uh, as we were about to leave about 10 out of the 20 guys on the tour started to feel sick. 10 out of 20 got the Rona oh, on, wow. that, on that trip. Wow. And, and so I'm not saying it has anything to do with Florida necessarily, but um I think that was kind of at the start of this most recent surge, you know. Yes. So travel is uh, uh, that's the hardest part of it, you know. Once you get to the gig, you get on stage, that then it's great, you know. Yeah. And you're able to when you go to somebody's town, uh, you know, it's a little bit of an event for people to come out and hear the band. So, um, you know, you, you got to do it. Yeah, definitely got to do. It. Absolutely, you do. So, if anyone wants to pick up these albums, if anybody wants to tap into getting tickets to your shows, all of that good stuff, what's the what's the good business? Probably the best thing is uh, is uh, I've got a new website redesigned, bigfatband.com. But we're um, you know we're on all the platforms uh, uh, on Facebook, uh, Gordon Goodwin, on Twitter or whatever you want to call it uh, at Gordon Goodwin. We're on Instagram, the real Gordon Goodwin, also Big Fat Band HQ. So. You know, we're 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 kind of hitting hitting all checking all the boxes as far as social media. It's an interesting thing though because uh, Patty Austin's people made the decision to uh, go easy on pressing CDs. It's on all it's on Spotify and YouTube and you know Tidal and all the all the uh, you know digital platforms. But I think they were kind of looking at how many people are buying CDs anymore. Yeah, I don't even. I don't have a CD player in my car. I don't have them here on this computer. I don't have one on my laptop. I have an external disc player, which I have to use if I want to play a CD. Yeah. So I, I think maybe uh, it might be done. I think it's, and it's a weird thing. We have a, we have a demographic that goes from, you know, people that heard um, Benny Goodman yeah. the first time that age and high school kids. Yeah. You know, and the high school kids are fine with digital media. Yeah. Um, and uh, some of the some of the more mature people would definitely want to still have a CD. I tell you what we have been doing. We've been doing vinyl. Yeah. Because vinyl seems to be something that um, is really good, uh, you know, for this music. It's kind of a it's an interesting thing to re-experience it because, first of all, the pressing plants are backed up. I, I need I need to have reprints of the, our record, the Gordian Knot, and they said, "Get in line now, and we'll have it for you in a year." Wow, you know. So yeah, um, but but I'm really I still I'm really excited about that format. I listen to it and I go, "How did we ever get away from this?" Yeah, right, exactly. Right? Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, well, Gordon, it's been great to catch up with you. So great to see you in in, in such a 
it was really hard to see everybody kind of not doing anything for so long. So now that the awards are happening, albums are popping, live shows, it's so good. Thank you for taking a minute out today. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you, Joe. Good to see yes, you. Yes, sir. Thanks for listening and tuning into another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players and minds in Los Angeles, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Gordon for his time, energy, and coming back to the show. If you want to hear more Neon Jazz interviews, you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us at YouTube, and for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.